Welcome to the Strength Culture Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to the Strength Culture Podcast. Today, I have Alec Blennis on the podcast. This has probably been uh, somewhat of a long time coming. We've been talking about it quite a bit. And then, of course, as you guys know, it's taken me forever to start the podcast back up. Um, but I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, Alec and I have had a lot of exchange, uh, both personally and then also within like the same like, or similar circle of people um, for many months now. Um, and we've had some really good conversations and Alec continues to post incredibly valuable information as well as incredibly hardcore um, and impressive strength and resistance training on his profile. So welcome, Alec. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jeff. Um, appreciate the introduction. It's always, um, you know, coming from a, a background as an endurance athlete, hearing people say that my feats of strength are impressive uh, is still taking some some getting used to, uh, but feels good to have made it to that, to that point. Um, so a little bit about me, a little background. Uh, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, have been full-time now for uh, the better part of 10 years. Uh, that was never my intent. Uh, I originally went to school to be a physicist. Uh, so I think a lot, a lot, like a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, as a mediocre athlete in school, right? Um, not great at specializing. Uh, I was never the best at any sport. I just kind of had a had a fun time doing all of them. Uh, so I always enjoyed, you know, the athletics, the training, um, the gym, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I didn't think I'd make a career out of it because, to be honest, I was too motivated by uh, by money. <laughs> you know, um, when I, so when it came time to to choose a career path, choose a college major, all that kind of stuff, I'm like, all right, what, what can make a lot of money? Um, knew what I was good at. Um, still, interestingly, though, I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I wanted to pick something uh, very general. And I thought um, physics is great. You know, just having a general understanding of, uh, of science um, that I could potentially uh, apply to a, a wide variety of areas. Um, so I chose physics as a major, um, started doing that as I was diving into like graduate research and that kind of stuff. I realized it was, it was actually boring as hell. <laughs> um, you know, I, I had a good time. I was good at it. Um, but you know, compared to the time I was spending in the gym compared to the competitive racing I was doing at the time, um, started even like mentoring and coaching some athletes kind of on the side. I realized that was a heck of a lot more fun. Um, and I started to make a little bit of money doing it, realized there's actually pretty good earning potential, um, there as well. Um, so I kind of made the transition. It was like, I don't want to get stuck behind a desk for the rest of my life. I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a, a, a basement dungeon, you know, doing lab, lab stuff. Um, so I, I dropped out. Uh, I quit doing that and just pursued coaching full time. Uh, and again, I've been doing that for the last 10 years or so. My initial kind of athletic background was predominantly on the endurance side, um, cross country, track and field, all that kind of stuff. Although, like I mentioned, I was never terribly good at it. And I think a, a big reason for that is I was never willing to, to specialize. Um, I still played other sports. I, I wrestled, uh, I played football, soccer, tennis, baseball, you name it. Um, I continue to still do all of those things. I never just specialized in the distance running like a lot of people. Um, and I never gave up, you know, just basic strength training. Uh, didn't know what I was doing, right? Like, I think a lot of kids at that age, I was reading Teen Nation articles and you know, doing 21s on the bicep curls and, and that kind of stuff. But combine that with a, a pretty extensive background on like the running side of things. Um, and you have kind of the makings of a, of a decent hybrid athlete. Um, 
So fast forward a couple of years, uh, kind of to my college days, and I got into the sport of obstacle racing kind of by chance, uh, which for those who don't know, obstacle racing, you know, think like your Spartan race, Tough Mudder, all that kind of stuff. You have to be able to run fast, run long distances, but you also have to be able to, you know, have mastery over your own body weight, climb over walls, carry sandbags, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I really found a groove there, um, you know, kind of putting together all the pieces of my athletic background. Uh, I did exceptionally well. I ended up getting uh, a sponsorship deal, ended up racing on the Spartan Race Pro Team for a number of years, ended up doing over 100 of those events over a span of a couple of years. Um, and that was kind of what uh, was was a good segue or opportunity for me to get into coaching. Uh, a lot of people started to, to request my help and advice and that kind of stuff. Um, shortly after that, I got hired by Complete Human Performance. Uh, you may know of Alex Viata's work. Uh, so I got hired by them to be their their obstacle course racing coach. Um, at least that was what I was initially brought on for. Uh, but there's so much overlap with the sport of obstacle course racing and things like uh, military and special forces, law enforcement, that kind of stuff. Um, so I gradually started coaching a wider and wider variety of athletes. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward another 10 years to where I am today. Uh, and I just love all forms of concurrent or hybrid training. So anyone that wants to combine strength and endurance sports in, in any capacity, um, that's really my jam. And that's, that's a pretty extensive history. I mean, what an interest, I mean, it is kind of an interesting transition to go from physics to training. I mean, they're not like completely far removed, right? Like you, I would, I would assume that, well, let's not say that <laughs> let's <laughs> a lot of high, highly skilled strength and conditioning coaches have at least some fundamental understanding of basic physics. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't say that necessarily most coaches, cause that would probably be inaccurate, but, um, it's not totally far removed. So it is kind of interesting how you still, you know, stayed within that realm. It's, you know, to have that sort of interest and ironically enough, it's, yeah, you can still make a very good living, um, understanding physics, just understanding it and applying it like in the training more than, you know, maybe like a lab coat. Right like actual yeah. practical application of a little bit of understanding of how physics works and how we use it to manipulate our bodies and create resistance and tension and all these different things. So, um, I find it interesting that, well, so even though you would consider yourself an endurance athlete, you never really stopped doing anything else. It, it's like, you weren't, I guess, you know, you weren't not strength training, you weren't not doing other things, but that was like just your primary interests, right? Yeah. So I was definitely an endurance athlete by trade. Like I, I never did any strength competitions or anything like that. Right. right. I, was, I was all about just getting as, as fast as possible, running marathons, ultra marathons, that kind of stuff. Um, and for a long time, uh, I think I took a pretty misguided approach to, to strength training, but a misguided approach to strength training is a heck of a lot better than not strength training at all. Um, uh, so even though I'd say I did a lot of things wrong and if I could go back in time and, you know, train differently as a, a high school athlete, college athlete, et cetera, it would, it would look a lot different. Um, like you said, it's never something I, I gave up. Um, I remember when I was a freshman in college, one of my go-to workouts was three by 30 back squat, uh, which I, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend to anyone. And I, and to be honest, I still don't remember how I stumbled across that, that protocol. Uh, but I remember, uh, starting out with like 135, right? I could do 135 for three by 30. And I just took the classic approach of like add five pounds a week until you die. Um, and I, I got up to 225 for three by 30, which for a 
140 pound endurance athlete is really not bad. Um, That's remarkably (laughs) impressive, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I I challenge anyone to go. I don't care how (laughs) I don't care what size you are. I challenge anyone to go throw two plates on each side of the bar and go do three sets of 30 with it. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So even do like a kind of a silly protocol like that. It just shows that like if you if you put in the work, you know, just like keep progressing. um, Good things are going to happen. Um, My my biggest regret with that is that I wasn't eating enough to actually get much (laughs) hypertrophy out of it. Uh, but, uh, muscular endurance to this day definitely remains a, a strong suit. Uh, the other day, it was like a couple weeks ago, I threw 225 in the bar as a, as a burnout set. I'm like, I'm just going to keep going until it hurts. And I got through 50 reps and my like blood, my, my blood pressure was like, I could feel like my heartbeat in my brain. So I'm like, oh, I'm the racket. I think that's, that's good enough today. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I love the, the muscular endurance stuff. I have a soft spot for it just cause that's kind of how I started out, um, but I, I wouldn't recommend that most people go about it that way. You have to have a special kind of crazy to enjoy that. You realize that, right? Like, like a 20 reps, one 20 rep set is like, like done. Like, even if it's not even done near failure, just once you just get like 10 or 12 and everything just starts burning, it's, it's hell, you know? So <laughs> you, you like, but I also come from the perspective of like anyone who goes out and decides to run more than like, five miles is also crazy as well. So, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I have a lot of respect. I have a lot of respect for endurance athletes because I don't think I, I, I like if I'm being, like, if I'm being totally honest, I think it takes way more grit to be an endurance athlete than it does to throw some weights around the weight room. Like I'll probably yeah. catch a lot of flack for that, but I'm like, I'm being totally honest because I, I like, I just would never throw myself into that fire. Like, I don't, yeah. well, maybe, maybe not, maybe, maybe that's not true, but it's just not like, I think at some point I'll probably do like a marathon or something, you know, just to do it and say I did it. But, and I say that and then I'll get hooked and whatever. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think anyone who disagrees with that simply hasn't, hasn't done both sports enough to have a, an appreciation for it. Not to say that strength training isn't tough, but. No, and it, um, da- it definitely the, is. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I'd say the toughness it's like strength, strength sports. It's, it's an endurance sport in the sense that you have to have the consistency. Like you still have to wake up and do the thing every day. Um, you still have to have, you know, lifestyle yeah. discipline, all that kind of stuff. And I, I think that's largely the biggest challenge with either of them. Um, I don't think any, any individual training session, to be honest with you, uh, even, you know, including 20 rep back squats, I don't think training itself is that hard. It's just getting up and doing it day after day and having that consistency. I think that's what yeah. separates people who become great at their sport from people who are just good at it is they're, they're the masters of consistency. They don't necessarily train any harder or aren't necessarily that tougher, if you know what that's I mean. It's true. Yeah, it's, it's so true. I mean, I like the, where this conversation is heading because I feel like, and this is, you know, Lucas, Range of Strength, shout out to him. Um, this is a conversation we're actually going to sit down and go a little bit more in depth in because I feel like the internet has come become this place where there's so much useless information. And I say useless in the sense that it's not necessarily to reflect that the information is inaccurate in any sense, but I feel like people are just incredibly lost in the weeds at this point. And like when you are um, someone who's going online and looking for some fitness advice, like it, it is an incredibly hard area right now to discern any sort of like good information from bad information or practical information and impractical information, like what's relevant, what's not like, it's hard, it's hard for professionals to do it, let alone 
like the layman who's just like, I'm just trying to get in shape or I'm just trying to get stronger or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of touch on your point there because like habit, the habit of training period is like the one thing it, it is, it is an endurance race in the sense of, you know, if you actually go look at the top of anyone in this industry, they've been there 10, 12, 15 years. Like most people that are excelling at the highest level that have the best physiques that are the strongest that have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of miles under their belt, if they're runners or whatever, like it, that's, that really is like the staple sort of habit is just like, no matter what, some consistency is maintained. Like, and I think that's like such an important lesson for people to understand because, and like you said, which I a hundred percent agree is like, it doesn't even mean that you are consistently going 100% because no one's realistically consistently going 100%. But like, I almost view training period as a game of accumulation. Like at, at the end of the day, if you're showing up and doing something, you more or less with, you know, I'm sure people would, could find ways to argue this point, but just to keep it simple, you more or less are netting some positive benefit from showing up in training. Like all things considered, like, things are done intelligently. And, and when I say that, just like you're, you're not literally coming into the gym and like training to the point where you're literally injuring yourself or whatever. But, um, but I, I think that that's like, it's like principle number one, right? It, it almost doesn't matter, especially for beginners, what you do, just show up and train, do something. Right. Absolutely. And I think a big piece of this conversation too, at least a, a question I get with the concurrent or hybrid training side of it, uh, is people ask about like, you know, periodization and, and things like that. And they talk about, you know, I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm more focused on my resistance training right now, kind of cardio is in the back burner, or I'm doing a big push on my, my endurance training right now, whatever. Um, and I always kind of, I hate to see that because when, when people ask me, you know, how's, how's your cardio vascular capacity so good? It's like, well, I started doing cardio when I was 13 and I have not stopped. Like I have not missed a week. I have not periodized and said, I'm not doing cardio for this three months or whatever. Yeah. Like I've just been doing it consistently. Um, maybe not always hundred percent. You know, I haven't always been putting in crazy volume or anything like that. But the, the key point is I haven't taken an approach where I'm like, well, I'm not going to train this year or, oh, I'm in season. So I'm not going to do, you know, these types of workouts or whatever. You just keep moving forward a little bit day by day. Um, but everyone's looking for the, like, okay, what, what periodization block is going to get me, you know, this capacity in 12 weeks. It's like, let's try 12 years. Just keep going. I know it's, you can't sell 12 years. I think that's like the hardest part for professionals is like, I think you can still sell products or whatever around blocks and you know, but like, it's really to just, if like, I feel like if I can just get people to understand that it, this just has to become routine. Like, yeah. You're, you're like, like, yeah, you can make somewhat acute change. And again, especially beginners, like acute changes are going to be made no matter what. But it's, but that's like people just kind of get stuck at lifetime intermediate because they constantly get stuck in this thing of like, they, they cycle things very hardcore for a few months and then they drop it off and then they pick it back up and they drop it off. And it's like that nothing is ever really sustained, even at like, a, a, the, like the minimum amount of levels to to uh to just keep it like just keep it going right yeah. it, it's to us it seems like a crazy thing to be like period like i haven't periodized anything in years and a lot of years and 
but all my clients and all my trainers, like everything has, they want everything periodized because they all think that they're like Russian strength athletes from the 1960s <laughs> that live in, live in state sponsored, you, you know, have state sponsored utilities and they don't see their families and they don't have other jobs and whatever. And it's like, look, if you just show up and accumulate something, it's, it, it's better than nothing. You know what I mean? And yeah. then what? Yeah. But, I, I always ask people like in the context of, um, you know, what, what they are experts at, right? Because not everyone's an expert at at strength training or, or resistance training, but most people are are good at something in their life. So I'm like, okay, well, what do you, what do you do for a living? And someone's a, a a lawyer, right? I'm like, okay, well, how long did it take you to get good at that? You know, you didn't yeah. do that in a, a 12 week block of studying. Like you've been doing it for years and years and years. So I, right. I think getting people to to rethink um, fitness in the same sort of way, um, you know, both in terms of training and actually getting good at the thing but also in terms of like um, digesting information right like if you as a fitness professional you go on on instagram and you look at this shit and you're like how dumb can people be like this stuff just doesn't even make sense right uh and you're like how do people fall for this or like why, why do people believe this um but then i look at uh i look at another topic right and I'm like, oh, that's interesting and I asked my friend about it who's who's knowledgeable and he's like that's fucking stupid man like where'd you see that um uh, and I I think just taking that approach of like ask someone who's good at what they do it's like ask a ask a doctor like would you where would you look for medical advice on Instagram and they'd be like uh probably not probably yeah. nowhere maybe just a yeah. handful of trusted sources right um right. and same thing with same thing with fitness uh, but I think it's important for people to to think about that um think about the thing that you're an expert at how do you decipher good versus bad information in that context? How do you think about getting better at that thing? And, and then just try to apply that to fitness because it's it's not so different than any of those other things. Yeah, I like that. I like giving them like this sort of analogical representation of excellence in any like it because it the the habits and the patterns are the same, no matter what field you're excelling in, right? So it's like, yeah, obviously, if you went up to a lawyer and you're like, hey, so did you like, you know, know everything about being a lawyer, you know, the first semester that you started law school, you know what I mean? It's like, <clears throat> obviously they, they, they're going to know like, no, of course not. You know what I mean? So it's, I like putting it in the perspective that people are going to understand. Like, and if you put it sort of in their ballpark, they're going to go, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like it's, it's no different for fitness. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier that, <laughs> you know, excuse me, we've, we've, um, We've definitely probably done some dumb stuff. Again, it um, it 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 netted towards something, right? It, but you mentioned like, if it, let me ask, let me frame it like this: If you could go back to your high school self, like you mentioned earlier, and you could give them a handful of of like solid advice for training, for starting to train, or how to think about training, or whatever, I'll let you kind of take it, but. What would you tell them? What would you tell someone who is in high school and they're just stepping into the weight room for their first time, or they're just starting to pick up running or whatever it is? What would you tell them? Yeah, you know, I, I think my mistake, and I think a lot of people's mistake, um, is they one they they specialize too soon. You know, whether we're talking about sports in general or their approach to the weight room, everyone wants to train like an advanced athlete, and almost no one actually is. Um, so in in my case, I'm like thinking of myself as this uh, endurance athlete. So I'm going to take this like hyper endurance focus to the weight room, do these like crazy sets of 30 century sets. I, was, I did like sets of a hundred on, on back squat, you know, for, for a while 
when I was in high school, which is like, why, why would you do that instead of just getting stronger and like, you know, sets of five, 10, whatever. Um, so my, my biggest piece of advice would be don't think of yourself as, as an advanced athlete, because you're just not, um, you know, master the fundamentals, um, get stronger in the, you know, five to 10 rep range for the most part, um, do some accessory work, you know, focus on hypertrophy, just basic stuff, like treat yourself like you would a, a general population person coming in that just wants to get, to get fit, um, rather than treating yourself like this, uh, super special high performance athlete that needs all these, these special things. Um, that'd be my biggest piece of advice is just focus on the general. You'll have the rest of your life to experiment and specialize and do all these, these cool things that you might be seeing on, on Instagram. But when you're in your first couple of years of training, you're going to be much better served by just getting generally good, um, you know, at, at the basics. And that doesn't mean like you can't have fun. It doesn't mean you can only squat bench dad, right? Like that, it doesn't mean that your training has to be, you know, stupidly simple or boring. Um, but it does mean that you shouldn't get too crazy and like always be trying to find the next, next greatest sports specific exercise or whatever, uh, versus just getting, you know, generally confident and fundamental movement patterns. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause, um, I'm training with one of my rugby teammates slash roommate slash friend, kind of all of the above. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, it, people obviously have like these, like, sort of like, you know, set ideas about like what works in the weight room or, or what someone needs to be doing as an athlete. Right. And it's like rugby is very interesting because I think I look at rugby and while it is a contact sport, so it is, it, it, there is a lot of relativity. If we look at like football, um, but like American football, but it's also an, an, it's also an aerobic sport because you have to play for 80 minutes. So there is this sort of blend of like the physicality of football with the, you know, aerobic capacity of like a soccer player. Um, it's continuous. The contact is continuous. It's nonstop. And it's like when I kind of had this, it's, it's funny because when I see like rugby specialized training, it's like, you guys are just hybrid athletes, really. Like <laughs> you need to be big, you need to be strong. And you need to be able to stay on your feet more or less for 80 minutes without falling over and, and like gasping for air. Right. Which is, and, and obviously there's some positional differences, but like from a, the most general perspective. Right. And it's like, and he, and it's not to his, it's not his fault, but he's like, you know, we're just in the, we're, you know, we've been going to the gym, we've done a few sessions now and it's like, we're just doing sort of a hybrid, you know, probably most people would consider like a power building program, right? We're hitting some barbell lifts and then we're hitting tons of like bodybuilding accessory work on the machines. And it's like, there's this, there's this idea that it's not specific enough. And it's like, what is more specific than being bigger and stronger than right. to any sport? Like, and of course, like, just because you're doing sets of eight or 10 doesn't mean you're going to look like Ronnie Coleman next week. Like none of us are right. So it's right. like, Oh, I don't want to get too big or I don't want to get, and it's like, dude, you just need to get bigger and you need to get stronger. And until you literally, and it's like, I'm sure, did you ever see Pat Davidson's post when he was kind of like, you know, squat four or uh, bench three, squat three, four, squat pull five, five. Right. And yeah. it's like, and it's like, until you get there, there's, there really is almost like from the most simplest perspective, there really is no reason to sort of get lost in the weeds because like, while while I would, 
kind of err on the side of like strength doesn't solve everyone's problems. It does solve a lot of problems. And I find that so many people just get sort of like they sort of just correlate a lot of weird things and I kind of see them and it's like, you're just not that strong. Like it's, it's not to be insulting. Yeah. It's just like from a general perspective, there's just, you're just like, you're bench pressing a plate. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's like, like, Oh man, you know, or you're squatting two plates and it's not even to full depth or whatever. So it's just like, there is just, I think a lot of value. I, like, I don't really care what your sport is and just getting stronger and putting on some quality muscle tissue, um, you know, and just being consistent, you know what I mean? And, and I, just, I think it's, it's such an interesting, uh, kind of parallel between kind of these high performance athletes and then just your, your general population, like everyday people. Right. I was just reflecting on this week. I had, um, a woman come in who I think is, is too smart for her own good in the sense that she like digs around and, and learns about anatomy, physiology, or whatever, but then kind of invents problems for herself. Right. And, and she's like, Hey, I think That's I have some invents uh, problems for themselves. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, I, it's like, I think I have some like scapular dysfunction, um, <sighs> over, overactive traps, whatever. Will you take a look at, at how my shoulder is moving on overhead press? And, you know, I'm just kind of like, okay, let's, let's see it. Right. And, um, she like grabs some dumbbells and is, is showing me her overhead press. I'm like, well, problem number one is you're overhead pressing 10 pounds. Um, I honestly don't give a shit. And this is the one I told her, like, I don't give a shit about of your course, dysfunction <laughs> or how your shoulder blade is moving with a, t a 10 pound dumbbell. Like, let's just get stronger. Let's get you overhead pressing. I don't know, like something over 45, a 45 pound barbell or something before we even consider having that conversation. Right. Yeah. Um, just the general idea of, of building some general, general strength and proficiency. And I think you can make the the same kind of case with with high performance athletes, um, I I do think there's kind of this uh, U-shaped curve. Uh, I call it the U-shaped curve uh, model of sports specificity with um, increasing um, increasing kind of training competency or training proficiency. Um, whereas I think people who are ranked beginners and advanced athletes often require a very similar approach to training, often for different different reasons. And I think sometimes people in the the intermediate category can benefit from a slightly more I hesitate to use the word sport specific, uh, but specialized. Yeah. More, more room for a kind of specialization in the weight room for that intermediate category. Uh, but you know, your, your rank beginner, I think needs to focus on the basics for the obvious reasons. Like they yeah. just lack the competency in general. Um, they can't handle the complexity of more specialized training, et cetera. Um, uh, you know, as you advance, as you become more competent, there's a little bit more room to, to specialize and think about some of those things. But then as you get even more proficient and, and enter that kind of advanced stage of, of uh, your career, you have so much proficiency and you do so much sport practice already that strength training now takes the place of just filling gaps and maintaining good, just like general human movement, um, good fundamental kind of general factors. Um, so for, for different reasons, I think beginners and advanced athletes should often train uh, very similarly, obviously different loads and different levels of competency, but similar approach. Um, and, and those intermediates might have a, a little more room for uh, some of the, the, the fun stuff, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Like I'm actually, I think this is a really, really solid point. And I think that I like quite a few models, just as soon as you said that off the top of my head, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of models that actually reflect this. Like, let's just take the most recognizable amongst anyone. And you look at CrossFit, right? So if you look at CrossFit, and you look at, okay, 
someone starts CrossFit, they go into the, just like the chaos that ensues. It's like Metcons and it's just like all kinds of generalization, right? Like no one's really, they're just like, they can't really do any of the stuff. They start doing all the stuff and they do the, the week, you know, the little one or two week, like intro to CrossFit and they learn some of the basic stuff. And then it's like, okay, boom, Metcons. And then for, and that's probably really good for like a lot of people, because one, it's just like a super low barrier to entry. They can start doing stuff immediately. You know, obviously quality can vary from box to box, but like if we're just erring on the side of like positivity and just like, you know, like there's regressions, a lot of boxes will have ways, Hey, you can't do this. Here's a way to regress it. You know, this is like the RX version. This is like the regress version and whatever. And then it's like a really good sort of thing and people do it for a while and then what they tend to what tends to happen if you actually like look at it i think the, the big picture is that people sort of start to find their little niche that they're good at within crossfit right whether it's like more of the endurance based stuff or whether it's more of the olympic lifting or whether it's more of the power lifting or whether it's more of the strongman or and or i would say they just want to get better at CrossFit. So what a lot of them do, if you actually look at a lot of like the games competitors, especially like the one, the newer ones sort of coming onto the circuit, they hire a lot of specialists. They hire swim coaches, they hire run coaches, they hire Olympic lifting coaches. So whatever their biggest weaknesses are, they will hire specific coaches to sort of bring up that, that aspect of like what they're missing. Right. And then there's this intermediate period of where like they seek a lot of coaching and guidance and specialization on like the things that they really need to get better at, usually things that they're, they weren't inherently good at. And then once they get sort of to that elite level, they're multiple, you kind of see their training return to back to what it was in the beginning. And they're able to just kind of go back to the Metcons and, you know, they have a high level of proficiency and, you know, and as well as varied level of proficiency across the board. That that's obviously why they are a high level games athlete. And then they can kind of just go back to enjoying CrossFit more or less as like the yeah. sport itself. <laughs> like obviously there's still some differences, but like, it, it's almost like that. It's you're right. I would agree. I would agree that like the beginner in advance are probably more in this quote unquote, same place in terms of like structure in the just enjoyment of the sport and a little bit of just of the, uh, like blessed ignorance, just like not really like they just kind of can go back to it. Right. And I think yeah. another reflection would be if you think of like West Side Barbell, I think is a very accurate depiction of of that thing. Right. Like a lot of people try to mimic West Side Barbell and the conjugate method, which I think works very well for beginners. Anyone who's like trying to just get exposure to tons of different new movement patterns and different variations, which is very fun because you don't feel like it's not redundant, um, but they're still close enough where you're getting like a very similar stimulus. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is these guys were like the best of the best already within powerlifting and they needed just that little bit of edge. And it's like Louis Simmons sort of genius was like, these guys have gotten so masterful and proficient at squatting, benching and deadlifting that the best thing that's going to benefit them is tons of variation tons of different, you know, varying stimulus. And it's like, it, it, it is kind of like, you know, Hey, what are you doing today? And it's just like, totally, it's just like a totally different day, more or less. I don't want to downplay the system because there is some structure, yeah. but it's just a good representation yeah. of like, you're going to get people probably who drive into powerlifting. How do they get there? Well, it's very simple. They started working out at their local rec center. 
They started working out in high school with their football team or with their buddies. They started squat, benching, deadlifting, doing a little bodybuilding accessory. They realized they were pretty good at it. They got stronger at it. Then they probably really started specializing in only squatting, benching, and deadlifting and getting really proficient at those movements. And then once they get into that sort of intermediate, you know, they're pulling five, six, 700 pounds, benching, you know, 300 plus upwards of 400 and squatting, you know, whatever, you know, just if you had to throw some loose numbers out there, they started, they sort of then go to that, like, okay, like I've become incredibly proficient, coordinated at these patterns. What are ways that I can sort of mirror these adaptations or these stimulus, but it just not always be the same thing all the time. Right. And if you actually look at like, even the greats of powerlifting, like Ed Cohn and stuff, like if he wasn't um, peaking for a meet, he was doing front squats and all kinds of variations. And even like the Russian powerlifting systems were very conjugate in nature. So it's like, you know, I think you see it everywhere. Like the Chinese weightlifting team, everyone loves the Chinese weightlifting team right now. And then their training is very conjugate in nature as well. So it's like the Russians were also very conjugate in nature. Like they're very much known for just kind of like maxing out on all these different random <laughs> variations all the time and it's like because once you get good enough at, at snatch and in in the clean and jerk it's like you can kind of just go back to experimenting and seeing what works for you and it's like if you if you look at guys like Plokov or whatever they just kind of came up with lifts that they felt made them better and they stuck with them and they played with different variations and it's like just it's really fun training to watch because yeah you know you just see them having fun so um, yeah, this, uh, this like pattern or, or kind of coming full circle, right? Like going from general to a little more specific back to, to more general, um, I, I think is a big reason why so many people struggle to make that, that leap from intermediate to advanced, because the changes that took them from beginner to intermediate are not the same ones that are going to take them from, from intermediate to advanced. Um, so they're like, okay, what, what took me from beginner to intermediate? How can I add more of that? Right. Um, so like for, for me, for example, like, um, what took me from a beginner lifter to an intermediate lifter, uh, I don't know, doing more training volume. Um, so can I just add more, (laughs) add more training volume again to, to go to that next level? Probably not. And in fact, it it may end up being the opposite case of as you get more proficient, more advanced, you actually take that, that volume down a little bit, you know, as you get bigger and stronger. Um, so I think you see that pattern come up again and again and again. Um, both in strength sports and endurance sports, um, whether we're talking training volume, training complexity, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think intermediate lifters really need to, or intermediate athletes in general, really need to look uh, more closely at their program and not just try to add more of the same thing that got them to that level, um, but but think outside the box a little bit differently and, and maybe go back to what worked for them earlier on in their, their training career might be the same thing that is going to work for them later too. Yeah. Yeah, I want to kind of go into sort of some 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 common misconceptions when it comes to sort of this this hybrid training or this or this general prep and how it relates. Like one example that I would give is um, I'm training this sprinter out of the UK, collegiate level sprinter. Um, I guess they would call it university there or whatever. But um, kind of like I think he's middle distance sprinting. So like 200, a little before 100, that kind of thing. Um, and it was interesting when I got a hold of him because I kind of told him, I was like, look, like we're going to do, I had him do some mobility stuff. I kind of was looking at different things, like how are his feet moving? How are his rib cage, pelvis? You know, like kind of essentials. And they moved pretty well. And it's like, he was dealing with all kinds of stuff, like hip stuff and knee stuff and just 
and a very, very bad case of just overthinking everything, right? Like Mm -hmm. everything was heavily analyzed and it's the big sort of turn for us was me kind of going into the second phase and going, what do you like to train in the gym? What do you want to do? You know? And he was like, Oh, well, I'd like to do some chin-ups and I'd like to do this. And I'd like to do this. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll write this program out. And I put in the description. I'm like, go fucking have fun training. Yeah. Go have fun training. And he messaged me back that day. And he's like, dude, that was like the best training session I've had in years. And the other thing that we did was we added like, quote unquote, zone two. We, we, we added some steady state cardio into his program, like a couple, you know, two to three hours a week, something that he can do. Anyone really honestly can do, um, sprinkled in through the week, which is like a cardinal sin for sprinters, right? Because all sprinters right. <laughs> have been told, like, if you do zone two cardio, you're going to be slower. And we added it. And the message that I got from him sort of like weeks into it was, man, like I used to have to do all these like sort of pre-activation slash rehab specific sort of priming, like whatever you want to call it. I used to have to do all these sort of like drills and whatever for my knees and my hips and my back and my whatever. And he's like, the number one thing that we added and that he feels has the most value to him just feeling good which allows him to perform well when he needs to perform well was adding like some basic cardiovascular fitness in for a sprinter. Now, obviously like somebody messaged me and was like, well, if you are trying to get faster, like obviously, you know, you're not going to spend most. And like, it's, it's almost crazy that we even have to like contextualize this argument with this, but it's like, apparently you do. Well, if he was like doing that 90% of his training hours. Well then obviously, you know, he's not going to be a very good sprinter. It's like, obviously, like, I don't think anyone is (laughs) like, (laughs) <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yes, I know, I'm aware, you know? Um, but it, it, it's funny because it is a misconception. I, you know, I've had this argument with people before where it's like, yeah, you, everything has to be max speed. And even with like my rugby friend, it's like, he's like, do you do like a quote unquote speed or power day? I'm like, no, absolutely not. Like I work up to a top set and I've got anywhere between three to five sets plus my warm up sets where I'm always moving the weight with speed uh, as fast as possibly can, as I possibly can. And if I were to look at like the relative percentages or intensities that people do speed work at, that is my warm up work. Why am I going to add a right. whole day of that's essentially just like warm up work that to, yeah. to like move weight faster? Whereas like I'm always trying to move the weight fast. But um, just a good example of like obviously a specialized yeah. athlete obviously has a lot of specialties, but his strength training, um, I, I I sort of generalized it. I generalized his strength training. Just gave them stuff to feel good, have fun, put on a little muscle, get stronger. Obviously, maybe work on access or like maintaining certain shapes or mobility or things that I, I want him to keep, like so that way he can rotate well on the track or whatever. And then like a little bit of zone two. And he's feeling the best he's ever had. And, and, and his whole thing was like, you just allowed me to train again and like not overanalyze every and because it was a it was a, it was a similar conversation oh i ha, i think i have this dysfunction and this and, the, and it's like just like it's just totally like cave themselves in yeah and the internet doesn't people, help i think a, a common like theme behind all of it is people overemphasize the like negative or maladaptive aspects of a of a training stimulus for example 
cardio kills your gains. Zone two makes you slow. Hypertrophy training makes you unathletic. Like all these ideas that's like, no, like hypertrophy work doesn't make you unathletic. Not training like an athlete makes you unathletic. Zone two doesn't make you slow. Not sprinting makes you slow. Um, you know, people overemphasize, you know, that there's a shred of truth in all of these things, right? They're not just completely made up hogwash. Um, but people take these, these little things like cardio kills your gains and they just magnify it a hundredfold, um, while simultaneously ignoring all of the general benefits. Like you said, just feeling better, just improve recovery, probably better sleep, um, you know, better blood flow and, and circulation, better tendon health, all, all these sorts of things. People just ignore all that stuff and then hyper-focus on these, you know, the, the maladaptive side of, of certain stimuli that they really don't, they really don't deserve. Yeah. I, I, and it's, it's almost like people like to oddly correlate things and I don't want to like take away from people's perception of like how things affect them and how they experience certain things like acute or chronic pain or whatever. But I have found that people do try to sort of, and, and I understand why, right? Because people sort of, if they feel like they have an answer or a source for their problems and they feel like they have more control or like a plan of attack to kind of like go in and address those things. But I have found that people will, will correlate some like really strange things to like why they're experiencing what they're experiencing. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, look, I don't want to take away your feel like you feeling that thing, but it's like, how do we really know? Like, we don't, we don't, we don't really know like what is particularly causing that thing. Right. Because it, there are just so many variables and not only like our existence in our day-to-day -day life, but just our training as well and our recovery and all these different things. And it's like, it is, it is hard to correlate and, and like attribute any one thing to any one experience, right? Because it can be such an accumulation of things. And there's, there's obviously like some nuance there in terms of like, Oh, I did this thing and now my knee hurts all of a sudden, but like, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I'm, I, I'm, I guess I'm probably talking more like chronic things, right? It's like, like you mentioned earlier, like scapular dysfunction. It's like you can't press 10 pounds overhead. Like, yeah, I yeah. would agree. Your scapulas are a bit dysfunction. Like they can't press weight overhead. You know what I mean? Like that's, but, they, but you know, and of course they go down the rabbit hole of like, like self, um, you know, self prescribing, like just negative things. And it's just like, if you can kind of maybe just spin the, spin it a little bit, make it a little bit yeah. more positive, like, you know, it can really yeah. help alleviate a lot of anxiety I think people get with training. I I think about my, an example with my, my wife actually. So, um, when, when I first met her, like when we had started dating, she was really into yoga, right? So she was a yoga instructor doing yoga every day, uh, super flexible, obviously. Um, and then I kind of turned her to the dark side, right. And gradually over time, she stopped doing some of that kind of stuff and is now trains like for physique and, and lifts every day. Um, uh, but a number of years ago, she's like, um, I think the, all the strength training is making me tight. I'm like, um, you d don't do yoga anymore, <laughs> you know, like the, the strength didn't make you tight, stopping doing daily, daily yoga affected your flexibility, obviously. Um, you know, obviously if you get, you know, tremendously well muscled, that can, can affect range of motion to, to some degree, but people attribute the wrong things. They think that what they're doing is doing something bad or like, it's usually what you're not doing. That's the problem. Not the thing that you are doing. Yeah. I heard like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I run into that. Not really. I, I would say I maybe used to run into that with the football team, or at least that was like a consideration from the coach when I trained the football team, because he comes in the gym and he sees us doing a lot of like 
strength work, hypertrophy work. And it's like, well, you know, what about speed work and what about power work and what about all this stuff? And it's like, well, you know, it's, well, I, I heard this makes you slower or whatever. And it's like, no, here's what, here's what makes these guys slower. They go into an off season, they go 12, 18, you know, well, let's say 12, 16, 18 weeks of heavy strength training, a lot of hypertrophy work. They're eating a shit ton of food and they haven't ran. They haven't sprinted. They haven't run. Yep. They haven't done routes. They haven't thrown a football. They haven't caught a football in four or five months. That is why they got worse <laughs> at being a football player because they didn't keep any elements of football in. It's not that the training is making them this thing. It's that they stopped all the good, the things that make them a good football player <laughs> and have basically hyper-specialized into being like a strength athlete for five months. And it's like those adaptations more or less are going to at least, they're going to regress. They're not, you know, they're not going to like disappear, but they will regress because there are still specific adaptations to those things that have to be maintained. If, you know what I mean? It's like, if you're sprinting every week, even if you're putting on weight, even if you're getting stronger, even if you're a little fatigued, like there's some, you know, um, you know, build up like residual fatigue occurring, which is going to happen. Um, you're probably not going to get slower as long as they're actually still training speed. If they're actually like training that specific quality still. So I think that's like an incredibly like valuable point because man, I think that's the best. That's like one of the best points I think people could probably take away from this is it is usually what did you drop out or what, are, what did you remove that had specific adaptations? And now you just randomly correlate it to, Oh, well, this thing is, yeah. is bad because you know, and, and that's like one of the things that I dealt with with flexibility for a lot of years was like the common two common misconceptions. It's like one strength training makes you tight. It's like odd, right? Like strength training makes you tight and non-flexible and, or you can get extremely flexible with strength training. And it's like, <laughs> right. uh, not exactly, you know, it, like, it, like there are, there is a little bit of truth again in those statements, but it depends on, on like what's lacking. Right. Because like if you're strength training and whatever, and you're still stretching, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to no. get tight. Um, and if you're getting more flexible, sure, maybe the strength training is helping a little bit, but you're still stretching. Therefore, yeah. it's, it's still the stretching that's making you more I, flexible. I think it's interesting right? how uh, it's interesting how worked up people will get over the whole like strength training and, and flexibility or range of motion debate where it's like, it's just, a, it's a fairly like, I don't say totally benign, but it's just not a super potent stimulus for that in either direction. Like yeah. it's not going to make you super tight. It's not going to work any miracles for your range of motion. Like it's just, it's strength training. Like it doesn't have to be this, this huge conversation. Um, you know, I think for most people, just a full range of motion strength training program is probably sufficient for like Absolutely. having the mobility to get through their, their daily life. But uh, obviously if you have, if you have more, uh, more intense flexibility goals yeah. from that, like if you want to be able to do the splits, you're, you're going to have to work on that. You're not just going to do some just do deadlifts and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think this whole idea of, of uh, not not over specializing, not over periodizing, and not letting any you know distinct fitness quality just totally be be thrown off the off the stove completely um, is really really a critical um, concept with hybrid training or concurrent training in general. Like if you're trying to get really strong and have great endurance, you have to concurrently train those things. You can't do three months of strength work and then three months of cardio and you, you can't do this back and forth oscillating approach and expect to move the needle very far in either direction. 
Um, so I think learning how to um, how to actually do those things concurrently, how to maintain a fitness quality, um, just the idea of maintenance in general is is super important for concurrent athletes. It doesn't mean you have to be moving the needle forward on on all things at all times, but you have to know like what's what's the minimum I have to do to maintain my maximal strength? What's the minimum I have to do to maintain my cardiovascular capacity so that when you do get to a point where you can push that, you know, that attribute forward again, you're starting from a good place and you're not kind of starting over. Cause that's the thing I see time and time again. And and why people struggle to make um, this progress is one, they didn't know how to do the two things actually like progress them concurrently at the same time. So they focus on one, abandon the other. And then when they switch, they realize that they now suck at the other thing. Um, and there's kind of seesawing back and forth and they, they can't seem to get that balance. Um, so I, I think maintenance is a, a super important concept. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly important concept, but it's also like, I think one of the primary errors in team training, especially when like the coaches of the sport are in charge of like sort of conditioning and those kind of things is that they also are always a, like, if I go, if I think of like my rugby practice, right. It's such a moderate level of everything all the time that there's no way anyone is getting top end or bottom end stimulus to actually like make them a better athlete, which is going to make them a better rugby player. Right. So like, obviously again, guys who are like out of shape and don't do shit their whole off season, they come in and they do practice and they start running again. They're doing drills. They're obviously going to build some cardiovascular you know, uh, or make, or just make some cardiovascular improvements. Right. But it's like mostly done in like a level of, of, of moderation where like, they're never really getting faster because they're never really training like speed at all. And they probably aren't in the gym training, like Matt, like near like strength. Um, because again, a lot of people, what happens is when they get into sport, all of a sudden the training drops out. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, our athletes are, they're, they're feeling beat up and they're feeling weaker. And it's like, yeah, that's because you literally just, they stop training. <laughs> like, yeah. Again, it's like, a, it's like a similar, it's a, it's the same concept. It's like, yeah, they're not training. I'm not saying they need to come in and train, uh, you know, one rep maxes every week or whatever, but there's no reason that athletes like I like I really think most sports, even at the highest level, they're still very generalized. At like, there's a lot of generalized capacity that needs to be covered that I just don't think is covered. It's just not. Yeah. They they think that the practice or the sport itself is going to give them all the adaptations they need, which is like, which is crazy. Because again, if you if you actually look at any high level, look at how much work they do outside of the sport itself to just get better. Whether it is direct skill work. Um, relating to the sport or generalized things. Like if you think of Michael Jordan and, and how he started working with, um, uh, why can't I think of his freaking name? Uh, Tim Grover, right. And started like really pushing like a lot of heavy strength training. And I mean, he also went and played 18 rounds of golf and then would go and play like a championship (laughs) basketball game. He is Michael Jordan. But the point is, is like, there is just so much net positive benefits to the accumulation of just like general physical preparation for everyone. I don't care how specialized you are. I think the argument just comes down to like, obviously, how are you using your resources? But like resource management is something that you have to learn for anything, not just sports, but like life, you know, you have to learn how to manage money. You have to learn how to, you know, manage food. I mean, there's like, there's just so many different things and it's like, it's no different. And I think that's the argument to like this. It's sort of the straw man that people use against general preparation. It's like, well, you know, you're not going to make a sprinter better 
uh, by adding a bunch of general preparation stuff. Well, it's like, yeah, not if they stop sprinting, right? right? But if, <laughs> but as long as they continue to sprint, they're going to be, they're going to be better. Like I promise you, yeah. they're going to be better. Right. I, and I think so the, the bias, the bias is, uh, the bias is the general work isn't sexy. Right. Um, yeah. so I think in, as far as the general public is concerned and like, especially now in the, the social media age, like no one is, is posting videos of here I am again, riding at, you know, a hundred Watts on the, the bike, on the for, bike for an hour. Yeah. 30 <laughs> minutes or an hour. You know, I've, I've like thought that. about posting videos and I'm like, how weird is it to set my, my tripod up and just film myself on the bike for 30 minutes? What am I going to do with that? You know what I mean? Like, right. No, like, yeah, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go through all this effort to post that and people are just going to go like this. They're going to go, oh, cool. Yep. And they're just going to go right past it. You know what I mean? And, and it's not, not <laughs> it's not, it's not as being disingenuous, disingenuous, right? It's not like we're trying to hide the secret that, no. that you need to do this sort of work. It just, obviously not, that's not where the interest lies. That's not where the, there's variable options, right? Like there's right. different strength protocols. Are you doing sets of three or five or um, which exercise are you picking? Where when it comes to some of the fundamental stuff, like, there's only so much, so many ways to make it sexy or interesting. Right. Um, yeah. so I think that usually the not... editing, that's probably the best way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that, uh, is just sort of this innate bias that makes people not think it's important. You know, when, when something is kind of simple, it's taken for granted and, and forgotten about. Um, um, so I, I think, or I wish that there was a, a way for us to make people realize how important that is. Um, kind of turn up the sex appeal a little bit somehow without losing the uh, the message, right? Losing the message, yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough because it's like a lot of people saying it's like stretching is similar. It's like, wow, like, you know, how did you get so flexible? And it's like, well, let me just sit in this one position here <laughs> for three minutes trying to touch my toes. Um, right. That's my video. That's my post. You know what I mean? It's like, of course, they want to see some crazy exercise, some crazy protocol. Because I think like people at the end of the day, they, they do need a justification for why they're not just doing the basic stuff. It is boring. It is not sexy. It is a cliche statement for a reason because it is just the work that you have to show up. You have to have some integrity as an athlete and as a human being and be like, there's no cameras. There's no fancy editing. There's no nothing. It's just, I showed up and I sat on that bike for an hour and I did the work. And it's like, man, you can do that from your living room. Buy a Peloton, <laughs> throw on a movie, and go bike for two hours. Like, because you're going to yeah. do it during the week at some point anyway. I guarantee most people will. And so it's like, yeah. there it is right there. There's your two hours. An, another thing that I think causes some, some confusion or, or leads people to misapply certain training modalities is the idea that, yes, there is like uh, some kind of crossover between energy systems and, and demands, right? Like you take a rugby practice and there's, there is a cardiovascular component to it, of course, right? Yeah. Like I'm not, not discarding the, the cardio component of, of playing a match or skill practice or, or that kind of thing. But the idea that just because something is a component of it, that it's, it's sufficient, right? right. So like, just because there's a cardiovascular component to X doesn't mean it's sufficient to, to train your cardiovascular system, you know, optimally I hate to even use that, that word at this point. Uh, but think of like a, uh, a, a Metcon, a kettlebell circuit, um, football drills, like this kind of stuff. Yes, there is a cardiovascular component, but how many, how many rugby drills would you have to do to get the same amount of cardiovascular stimulus as 90 minutes on a bicycle? A lot. Like, you would be fucked up. 
Like yeah. you would be so fatigued. You'd be so tired. <laughs> yeah. The the quality of that sport practice would be total garbage, right? Like yeah. by the time you got to the point where you're approaching what you can get on an, on a pretty easy bike ride. Um, so yes, there's cardiovascular component to it. And yes, it's going to contribute meaningfully to your cardio fitness overall. But if you try to use the wrong tool for the job, there's going to be consequences to that. If you try to use sport practice for cardio, the quality tends to go down. It tends to be super fatiguing. Um, Same thing. If you like go into the gym and you're like, I'm just going to fly through this, this really quick. I'm going to do sets of, of 30, no rest, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, you will get a little bit more cardio out of it, but the strength stimulus is shit now. Um, So I think that's, that's a big takeaway uh, with the training side. It's like, just because something has an element of, cardio or an element of strength does not mean that's the, the best way to address that quality. Um, and just using the right tool for the right job is often the, the best approach. And in the context of, of hybrid training, that's really all, that's what it's all about is it's strength and conditioning where we intentionally choose the best tool for, for the job. Like we use strength work for strength. We use yeah. cardiovascular endurance work for cardio. Um, uh, and for some reason that's controversial, you know, like just using the right tool for the right job and doing strength and conditioning, um, as opposed to, you know, some, some other approach. Um, but yeah, it, again, it, it kind of blows my mind how people think that that's such a crazy idea. Well, it, it's, it's such a good, this is such a good conversation because like you said, there is obviously, there are benefits and those benefits do sort of like um, crossover and merge into aspects of strength and aspects of cardiovascular fitness or aspects of mobility or whatever may may be the typical target that people are generally going for, right? Body composition, mobility, strength, whatever. And it's like, I think people, again, they think of like this generalized hybrid training and they, but the thing is, is like, it's generalized, but there's still specificity within the different, like, target goals that you're trying to achieve. And it really is more about optimizing those specifically, but doing it at the same time as like targeting a very specific adaptation, which there is obviously specificity, but you're, you're just concurrently doing them at the same time versus like, yeah. versus like, I'm just kind of doing everything half ass and I'm not really getting any top end or bottom end adaptation anywhere. Everything's just kind of, I'm just, again, I'm accumulating tons of fatigue, but not really getting like, again, the most optimized benefits from strength training or from hypertrophy training or from, um, you know, cardiovascular training or whatever. And I think that's like a discernment that people need to understand and make, because it's not like, like, yeah, you can get somewhat strong and, and, and somewhat cardiovascular fit doing kettlebell circuits, but it's like, or you could just take the same amount of time that you're going to do that in the same amount of hours and you can just optimize the strength aspect of it, optimize the body composition aspect of it, optimize the cardiovascular aspect of it within the same yeah. window of time. But you're actually just hitting the, you're, you're actually going into like pop in adaptations and actually making worthwhile adaptations <laughs> to where those, those needles are moving a lot further and they just have way more benefits at the top end than just kind of always being a relic. I think that's like a misconception that people make. Right. Yeah. I think an, another misconception, um, kind of in the, the same category is people think that more specific is always better, right? Like specificity is king, blah, blah, blah. And so they apply this idea of specificity to work that is meant to be general in the first place. Um, so like they try to make their low intensity aerobic conditioning 
more sports specific, right? Which is, is weird to me in, in the first place. Um, but that tends to backfire because the, the more specific you get with that, that is going to result in more specific fatigue as well. Um, so the more you're, you're making it similar to your sport or similar to some of your other training, the, that fatigue is going to cross over more. Um, why not take advantage of the fact that it is general and it can be different and you can, you know, say for a, a sprinter, like maybe not do an easy zone two run because that's going to tire their legs out in a similar way that um, they're going to need to use them for sprinting, right? Where put that person on a bike for their zone two work, right. yep. something less specific, more general for the general work um, so that you you reduce that fatigue crossover and they can get a higher quality out of the, the specific work they are doing. Um, so I think it's a, a prime example where specificity is not king. Um, general is general for for a reason. Yeah, I like that. Keep your specific work specific and your general work general, right? Um, what is your take on, since we're kind of here, um, it would also be interesting to get sort of your physics take on like sports specific movements in the weight room, right? Like what's, what's your kind of uh, approach to that statement? Like, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of coaches that try to mirror um, exact movements and joint positions and things like this that are seen in the sport and then they go into the weight room they're like because this is how they play their sport we have to do these things and, and a lot of times we only can do these things because if we do anything other than this like it's going to take away from over here or whatever like what's your take on that yeah i think a, a lot of times there's there's good ideas there right like you want some level of specificity in terms of training the right muscles training the right positions or muscle links, et cetera. Like you don't want to just completely ignore that. Uh, but I think people often focus too much on making a movement more specific in terms of what it either looks like um, or kind of the, the complexity coordination integration piece of it. Um, they add specificity in that way instead of like acknowledging the limits of specificity of, okay, are we training the right muscles, positions, muscle links, et cetera. And probably you know, velocities, even perhaps, uh, but maybe stop there. Let's maybe not try to um, try to train a baseball swing with like a, a cable machine, like a, a bat tied to a cable or, or something like that. Right. Like you don't have to get that specific or that close in terms of, of mirroring. Um, you know, the more specific you get, it often comes at the expense of the, the fundamental qualities you're after. Um, so I like to think of it as how how specific can you get before that specificity starts to backfire. Um, and acknowledge that, you know, you may, be, you might be training the right, um, position or muscle length in a way that doesn't look visually similar, similar at all or vice versa. Um, so I, I think trying to remove that component of it, of don't just try to make it look like your sport, think about the actual demands of the sport. Um, the, the demands of the sport, the demands on the tissues, et cetera, are far more important than what something looks like visually or what the coordination of that exercise is. Um, some of those variables. So I think there is room for sports sport specificity, so to speak, um, in the weight room. I think we just often go about it the wrong way um, and try to overdo it at the expense of the, those fundamental qualities. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw someone make a post recently. I can't remember who it was, but he actually, it was a really good post because it was like, what what you think you're doing in terms of like mirroring sports specific joint angles and stuff, but then like not understanding the, the force curves and the force vectors and like what tissues are experiencing, what amount of tension it did. Because like, just because the ankle knee and hip are in the same position as like starting, yeah. position, it doesn't necessarily mean that like 
the force going into the, the certain tissues or joints is the same on these different exercises or angles because it's just it's not from a, it's like from a physics yeah. standpoint <laughs> it's like it's like where is the the force actually being applied what muscles are actually um you know responsible for creating contractions and and things at these angles because just because it looks the same doesn't mean that the same thing is actually happening right yeah so. well and, and sometimes we totally you know misapplied um reference frames um uh, and and forces in that way like sprinting for example uh, i've seen people make the argument that that sprinting because sprinting is is horizontal that a hip thrust would be more specific to sprinting than a, a that's squat. a very yeah that's a very common yeah um which to me is like one of the dumbest things you can possibly say um but um <laughs> uh, but for some reason it, it's caught on and people hear that and they're like oh yeah it makes sense checks out and like well if you just think about it for like five seconds it really doesn't <laughs> um you know but that's a, a great example of, of people making a, a movement say look more similar for example or they think they're moving the the hips in the right direction but when you think about you know what's actually going on with those those force factors it, it's not as specific as you think it is yeah then that's that's a big one is like reference frames people are very bad at reference frames it's like one of the things that i've learned with describing relative motion it's like people's brains just fry first of all it's almost like they forgot <laughs> they forgot the principle of motion being relative period right so like motion is always relative so we always have to provide a reference frame when we're talking about movement but it's like then if you actually try to provide reference frame and get them to see the reference frames it's like it's just like it's 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 yeah. very hard for people to grasp like they don't reference frames are very hard for people to grasp they are they're quite hard for, for whatever reason you know i like a good yeah. reference frame because then i go okay i see what we're what we're looking at here but like a lot of people if you try to provide it it's just like they just like again well it looks like the same thing so that's good enough for me and it's like but it's not but that's fine you know <laughs> yeah i've i've seen some cool uh uh, cool like camera editing now where they'll like stabilize a video around a certain uh, joint or whatever so like this is oh, what wow. the movement looks like from this this reference frame and it's there's some cool like the movements just look bizarre you know like if you look at at what someone's running gait looks like but just stabilize the video at the person's knee joint and like see how everything else is moving relative to that that body segment it's like you you often pick up on things that you didn't even realize you're like i didn't even Think about the fact that that was moving this way relative to to that joint yeah. Uh, but yeah very interesting and i can understand why it's hard for people to to grasp but they should certainly make an effort to yeah especially if you're a coach or if you're like yeah. or if like you're trying to solve like a movement issue for somebody because if you don't have the reference frame you're you're just shooting in the dark you know what i mean um right. yeah that's that's a good point so what as an endurance athlete, like now hybrid athlete, because that's really what you are. I mean, and your strength numbers are like, I didn't, not, I didn't say that in the beginning to take away from your, from your, uh, <laughs> your achievements as an endurance athlete, because you're very achieved as an endurance athlete. But like when people look at your page too, obviously like we're, we're visual creatures and we see lots of plates on the bar and we're like, holy crap, this guy is really, really strong. Um, what? What advice do you have for somebody who who maybe they're just they've just predominantly been sort of a strength athlete? First of all, everyone hire a coach. But if you had to give somebody some advice, like okay, 
they come from predominantly a strength background and they want to get into endurance training. And I'm not going to lie. I would say this is one of my weak points too. Like if I wanted to specialize in endurance training or at least like become more specialized, like if I actually wanted to train for an endurance event outside of just like doing cardiovascular training for just the general benefits, which is basically all I do it for. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, where would someone start? Yeah. I'm a, a big starting point is just like your, your frame of mind, right? Like, how are you thinking about it mentally? Uh, and I think people that come from a, an extensive strength background, you know, they've gotten to the point where they're an advanced athlete, um, being a beginner at something again, requires a, a mindset shift. So just being willing to put yourself back into that, that position, you know, reflect back on what it was like to be a, a novice strength athlete, you know, what advice would you have for your former self in the context of, of strength work? And I think there's going to be a lot of parallels you can draw um, with, you know, how you might want to approach the, the endurance work as well. Um, a key, key point being patience, right? Like how long did it take you to get to where you are on the strength side? Um, you know, people want to rush the process, you know, they're great at strength. They want to be great at endurance too. Um, but they don't want, again, that 10, 15 year process or, or whatever it's going to be. Um, even though they know better, you know, if you, if you sit down and have a conversation with someone and ask them, you know, how long you think it takes to get to the level you want to be, I think conceptually they, they know emotionally they might not though. Um, so just encouraging that patience, getting people to realize that it is a long process, um, especially for the, the strength athlete. I think a lot of times people that have naturally gravitated to the kind of strength, power, speed, you know, side of the spectrum, they did so because that came more naturally to them. That's going to be yeah. what they're, they're better at. Um, so not only have they, you know, been lacking an endurance background, but that's probably not their, their natural forte either. So they're fighting definitely an uphill battle. So if anything, it's going to be an even slower process, an even more gradual process than, um, than, you know, the process they went through to become a good strength athlete. Um, so just setting expectations, being realistic about, you know, what that progress is going to look like. Um, and even more so, I'd say for the strength athletes for whom that came supernaturally, like the, the guys who were like deadlifting 500 plus in their first year of training, like those, yeah, my high school football players. Yeah. Those, those genetic anomalies, they're, they're used to things coming very easily to them. And it's probably going to be the opposite, you know, if they do approach uh, the cardiovascular side. Um, so again, realistic expectations is big. Um, and, and just the patience, cause the aerobic side of things is, is slow. It's not something where you can add 20, 30 pounds, um, to the bar every month. Like you could, when you were strength training for the first time, right. You're not going to yeah. see that super quick progress in the aerobic side. Um, so yeah, patience is the biggest one. Do a reasonable amount of zone two work. Uh, just overall aerobic hours is going to be the number one thing that correlates with your your cardiovascular fitness long -term. and and to touch on that the graphs the graphics that i've seen is like there's nothing but net positive benefits for like lower to moderate intensity steady state cardio like upwards of like 15 hours right like it's like you can actually put in a lot of time a lot of time and a lot of hours on a weekly basis and see almost nothing but net positive benefits where obviously like you can't do yeah. that with strength training. You can't go into a gym and train <laughs> 15 hours a week and expect to see only like, like net positive benefits. Right. Would yeah. you agree with that statement? Absolutely. And, and to kind of add on to it, an interesting graphic I saw was uh, it was correlating 
basically total aerobic training volume um, with mitochondrial mass. So basically like underlying cellular marker of your aerobic fitness, like more mitochondria, more aerobic fitness, right? So it's correlating um, kind of lifetime training volume um, with that. Uh, and it was interesting to, to note that uh, when people are just training a little bit, um, there's, there is a strong correlation, but uh, it's not as strong as when people do more. Um, basically, the, the more aerobic training volume you do, the more predictable the response to it. Um, whereas you're going to see like non-responders, for example, like people are like, I just don't respond to, to cardio as well as others. Or it can explain why some people seem to not have to do very much cardio and they're still, you know, freakishly fit or whatever. Um, there is much more variability um, when it comes to how you respond to low volumes of aerobic training. But as you do more and more, again, that, that response gets more predictable. And it's pretty much a guarantee that if you do enough work, you will get very fit. <laughs> uh, if you do a small amount of work, maybe it works out for you. Maybe it doesn't. You might need more. Uh, but if you get to the point where you can handle and recover from more and you keep adding, um, eventually you're going to get to that point where it's it's a guarantee. It's not an, it's not an if. It's just a, a win uh, when it comes to, you know, is that aerobic training going to pay off for you? It's really interesting because I think people have a misconception that aerobic training adaptations actually probably come faster than um, I would say strength adaptations, right? Like I feel like um, people would say, oh yeah, like I can definitely get in better, like more cardiovascular, but it's like, but then if you actually compare it to like, what's the, what are we comparing yeah. it to, right? Like compared to who, compared to your coworker or compared to like <laughs> someone who actually runs like 10 Ks or five Ks or even a mile or a marathon or whatever. Right. Like, um, had a buddy who ran his first marathon. He did like six hours and it's like, what, which is like, look, he finished a marathon. Right. Yeah. But it's like, what is it going to take for someone to go from a six hour marathon time to four hour, a three hour. Right. Yeah. Like, is it just time? Is that like, is that just, and just volume of, of, of cardiovascular yeah, yeah. training? Well, so the, the reality is that when you, when you look at most people who are running like a, a four hour, five hour, six hour marathon, their, their limiting factor is not really their underlying aerobic fitness. Uh, if you look at someone who's able to maximize their aerobic fitness in terms of their, their running economy, their uh, anaerobic threshold, their structural endurance, all that kind of stuff, you can run a sub three hour marathon on a pretty modest VO2 max, for example. You don't have to be some like insanely fit aerobic monster to run a pretty impressive marathon time. Um, for a lot of people, it's it's those other factors. Um, and I think that leads people to believe that they can improve their aerobic fitness very quickly. For example, they might improve their marathon time by 45 minutes um, in a 16-week training program, right? They, they might run a, a 4.30, train for six months, and then run a 3.45. And they're like, my aerobic fitness like changed dramatically. It probably didn't like your, your actual VO2 max, for example, might've budged a point or two, or maybe not changed at all. Um, but all these other factors have gotten better. You know, your, your muscular endurance, your ability to maintain form under fatigue, um, your fueling approach, like all these other things can contribute to aerobic performance. Um, you know, aerobic performance right. is not just, just aerobic fitness. There's a lot of other factors to it. Yeah, that's, um, that's so a I good think, point. but when it comes to things like your overall metabolic health, your recovery, um, things like that, the actual underlying aerobic fitness is, is what matters. Um, and that, that is a slow process, even if, you know, your external 
measures of aerobic performance can be changed more more quickly due to due to some other factors. Once you maximize those other factors, though, right? Once you figure out how to fuel properly for your marathon, once you get your legs to withstand the fatigue, once you kind of remove all those other limiting factors, and it does boil back down to aerobic fitness again, now you're at a point where progress is going to look really, really slow. Um, so for a lot of people that are at that point where there's, they're still removing other limiting factors. They're not even to the point where the aerobic system is, is the limiter yet. Those are probably the elites, right? Like, yeah. I think it's good too, is, is, um, that's probably a really good point, especially with running is like, I think you're right. A lot of people's limitations are actually just like the structural adapt, like the actual structure adaptations to the, the running itself. Right. Like, like I have no doubt if I really wanted to. I could go out and run a marathon tomorrow, but my body is probably going to feel like shit for weeks <laughs> afterwards yeah. because it's just like, it's just, you know, it's just because the, the, the adaptations to that amount of endurance on the, on the physical structure itself just are not there. The joints and, 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 and uh, maintaining certain technique, obviously under like muscular endurance and maintaining technique under a long duration of time and, and things like that. Like, because I think most people make that mistake and that's why, well, kind of why I asked, because it's like, oh, where do people start? Oh, hey, I want to run a faster mile and I haven't ran in months. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go out tomorrow and they just run a mile <laughs> and yeah. they just try to run it almost as fast as they can, more or less. And I think that's where most people just kind of start with with like endurance training. I know a mile is laughable to the actual endurance <laughs> athletes, but like for the average person who's like, yo, I want to run like a, you know, a sub six, like a, like a, a five minute mile or something somewhere in there. It's like, they're just going to start going and running a mile every day. And they're just going to keep trying to run that mile as fast <laughs> as possible. And I'm sure there will be some acute improvements. Right. But then there's yeah. not, there are factors that they don't take into consideration, like structural adaptations to the plyometric forces of running and, 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 you know, gait and running economy and different things like that, yeah. where it's just like that they don't even think about all that. Like, yeah, they probably do yeah. actually have the, cardiovascular fitness and some, especially if you are, have some history of like playing sports or being athletic or whatever. Yeah. You probably actually have a pretty decent level of like cardiovascular fitness, but it's, it's these specific adaptations that are going to probably limit you. It's kind of like, you know, the idea of newbie gains, right? Like when you first start squatting for the first time, like you didn't actually gain a, a shit ton of muscle mass in two weeks, right? No. You just figured out how to manage your center of mass a little bit better and, and, and things like that. Right. Uh, yeah. It's that, the hypertrophy comes a little bit later on coordination basically like coordinated improvements yeah yeah and when you get down to the the fundamentals of of aerobic adaptation similar to hypertrophy um it is really quite slow you know especially if you've been training more than six to 12 months you know you're not putting on 10 pounds of muscle in a month like an intermediate to advanced training might be lucky for you know a handful of pounds in a year right uh and the same is true of, of aerobic adaptation so again when someone's first starting out um, you know, you should expect to see some pretty rapid gains, you know, whether it is, you know, underlying aerobic capacity or some of these other factors, you might have a several month period where you're making really quick progress and you're going to hit what feels like a plateau. Um, it's not a plateau. You're just, you're, you're past the point where some of those easier, easier gains and other limiting factors are, are holding the low back. hanging fruit. So my, my biggest piece of advice I'd say for someone new to cardio is don't get frustrated when you hit that point. Um, you, you might feel like you're plateaued for a long time when you, when you think about how slow some of these adaptations, um, are, you know, especially with like the, the mitochondrial density, some of those sorts of, you know, very fundamental aerobic adaptations, you're not going to see big changes in 
a handful of weeks or, or a month. You know, you might be looking at, you know, test retesting some things every quarter or so and seeing one, 2% gains. And that's great. You know, if you can get that consistently, you know, quarter over quarter, year over year, um, you can, you know, take things really far in, in the long term. Um, just, just be realistic about what to expect. Yeah. I think that that's a really good message to sort of maybe start closing this out is that, you know, at the end of the day, like a lot of our limitations are going to be predominantly biological. And we have not really at all, even though a lot of people like to pretend that they have or that they're in that field right now, we haven't really found a way to speed up biological adaptations that are made, right? That the human body is like capable of. Like the bottom line is it just takes time. It takes a, a, an accumulation of stress and fatigue to to actually create an, an adaptation. And then it takes time for our biology to then develop and actually adapt to that continuing accumulation of stimulus. And when it comes to hypertrophy is a good one, you know, it's like Angus makes a joke is like, there, there's no such thing as a 12 week hypertrophy program. There's just not right. Yeah. Because you're not, you're not actually putting on a significant amount of cross-sectional muscle tissue in 12 weeks. Like there's going to be fluid, you know, changes made in, in like cellular fluid, like you're, you're holding more water, you're holding more fluid, you're holding more liquid. Like, like that's going to be one of the primary changes of people who are like, yeah, I put on 15, 20 pounds in 12 weeks. And it's like, and 70%, you know, more than that. Yeah. <laughs> 90% of that is water. You know what I mean? Like, it, and it's, it's not to say it's bad. Like, it's not a bad thing. It's just that like, we don't build tissue that quickly. You know what right. I mean? We just, we just don't. And so you know, and it's constantly breaking down and constantly rebuilding. It's cyclical and it, it's, it's not like a 12 week, like it's like, it's, it's always happening. Um, and I think like if people just quit may, making time their enemy and just making time their friend and just understanding, like, I understand it is, it's obviously have short term goals because we, it keeps us, it keeps the meter moving, but like have the realistic expectations that if we want to even moderately excel, like some of our pursuits that we go out and sort of like, you know, go after, you just have to give it time. You have to give it time and, and whatever it takes to get you to persist through time. It's okay if, it's, if you think it's tons of structure. It's okay if you think it's, you know, um, if, if, you, if you just want to go into the gym some days and just play, you know what I mean? Just do something, just move around, do whatever. Like, obviously you want to try to be maximizing your time as much as possible because time is a limitation for most people in terms of like how much time they have in a week, especially people who are not, even though I'm a professional, I'm still limited by how much time I actually have to like training in the gym. Right. But I think people need to understand. And even with strength, you know, it used to be heavily thought like strength is purely neurological, but it's like, we have a pretty good amount of research that shows us now that like actually strength is like pretty heavily dependent on cross-sectional muscle tissue. Like, like that's actually one of the primary drivers of like improving strength. And again, if you go and you look at how long does it actually take to build quality muscle tissue, it takes time. And a lot of those acute benefits or big benefits that people see, it's, it's, it's things like coordination that have improved, manage, you know, center of mass management has improved. Like it's really those things that have improved more than anything, but the biological adaptations, they, they just yeah. take time, guys. They take time. It's like, you know, even in, uh, even in elite powerlifting, like the the best predictor of someone's total is their level of muscularity. Like not to discount all the other factors, but like but John how Hack. much muscle tissue someone has is is still number one. Uh, and same thing on on the aerobic side, 
yes, there's outliers. Yes, there's other factors. But the number one thing that's going to determine your your aerobic ability is training volume accumulated over years, decades, et cetera. Uh, and there's there's no shortcut around it. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a great way to end it. I mean, it's just like, you know, all the, the nuance aside, guys, at the end of the day, training really just comes back to the basic principles. It doesn't matter how specialized or how general you want to make it. It's like if you want to excel at any one thing, you know, be consistent, make time your friend, um, sleep well, eat well, do all the little things right, um, and just prepare to be in the game, you know, for the long run. Like if you really want to have a solid go at it, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, if most of my clients come in and show me a picture of someone they want to look like or someone, you know, show someone achievements and be like, I want to go here, I want to be here. It's like my answer to almost every single one of them is understand it's going to take time. It's just yeah. going to take time. And, and until you accept that, I think like once you do accept it, again, training just kind of resorts back to being fun again. And you can just kind of enjoy it for what it is because then you're like, it's not so goal driven. You know, it, it is more of just like, it just becomes the process. It just becomes the habit. And it's like, yeah. cliche is fall in love with the process. It's like, yeah, you kind of like, look, I don't love training, right? I don't, I don't necessarily love to spend my time training, but I do love what I get from it. And when I understand the long, it's, it is for me, I always am changing around like my, the last 12 weeks, basically, since I broke my leg. It's like I've been primarily going to a bodybuilding gym and doing bodybuilding movements. It's still making me better at anything else that I want to do or will ever want to do at any point in within fitness. It will make me better at everything that I want to do, again, as long as I maintain those qualities or even if I just revisit them. It's okay sometimes for that stuff to fall out, especially if time becomes a factor, if injury becomes a factor or whatever it is. But just keep moving, keep moving the needle guys. Like that's at the end of the day, that's really like, I think the main takeaway is, is you can, you, you, you really can excel at a lot of different things at once. I think humans are, are very good at that. We're kind of the jack of all trades, sort of how we've evolved. We we're not particularly masterful at any one thing, but what makes us very good and what has allowed us to survive on this planet for so long is that we are just very good at doing a lot of things pretty damn well um well enough to survive you know what i mean so um let that kind of sink and sit in there and, and just you know just show up do the work some days it's going to be fun some days it's not some days it's going to be sexy some days it's not you're going to have up days you're going to have down days just keep the needle moving guys so Allie, if people want to find out more about you, if they want to kind of see what you're about, especially, uh, I mean, please, guys, go to this guy's Instagram. And uh, on first glance, you guys, I promise, will be impressed. But where can people find you? Yeah, so on Instagram, just my full name, at Alec Blinnis. Uh, I have a website, alecblinnis.com as well. Um, but find me on Instagram. I do a, a weekly q and I have a lot of fun with that. always get some great questions. Uh, I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching, programming, et cetera. And I also have a, a team program. Um, if anyone's looking just to to see what it's all about, to um, kind of do the whole thing, uh, you know, my team program called Sex and Zombies uh, is designed to offer a little bit of everything uh, as far as hybrid or concurrent training goes. Uh, so it's great for the person who's like, I don't really have a, a specific goal. I just want to be bigger, stronger, faster, have good aerobic capacity, be prepared for for a wide range of movements and, and for life. Um, if that interests you, I would highly recommend checking out my program uh, and following my page.
yeah, guys, go check them out. Um, a wealth, just like a vast, just tons of knowledge. I mean, like it's it's hard to find people in this industry that are a good mix of just like incredibly intelligent and also incredibly practical. Like usually people kind of are, you know, again, here we are again, but like they're either in- incredibly practical and they don't really understand like anything about what they're doing. They just do it, which is, which is fine. And then there's the opposite too, where it's like people are almost too smart for their own good, but there's almost just no practical application of their knowledge, not only in their lives, but in like anyone's life at all. It's just a bunch of philosophy. And, and, and if that's <laughs> your thing, that's fine too. But I find that Alec is probably a very, you're a very good hybrid. You're, you're right in, you're right in between the two incredibly intelligent, incredibly well-spoken, um, makes con uh, makes pretty, uh, what can be, you know, hard, like deeper concepts for people to understand. You make them incredibly simple to understand, um, as well as just like, Hey, you're also a, a very accomplished athlete, both as an endurance athlete and as a strength athlete. So go check them out guys. Um, until next time. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Caution.